0: To the VertiGuys show. I'm Sean. Eric is traveling, so my guest this week is Andy. Hi. And we are the VertiGuys. We're checking out the dark side of DC. We're here to recap and review Vertigo comics, starting with the big three Sandman, Hellblazer, Preacher. And today we are going to talk about a Preacher special, the story of You Know Who. But first, I mean,
1: so you've just read Preacher for the first time. Yes, that's correct. What did you think of it? The best way I can compare how I look at Preacher is the same way I look at a chihuahua.
0: All right.
1: I'm sure you see, you draw the necessary, like, conclusion. I'm
0: not following you at all. Okay,
1: I look at a chihuahua and I think, why does this exist? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what circumstances, what brought, why, 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 why are you, chihuahua? And... I think of the same thing when I look at Preacher, like, why does this exist? What is this author trying to say? What is this author trying to tell us, you know? Mm-hmm. And what little I've read of it, I've read about a third of the series.
0: I loaned you the story of You Know Who, and, and for context on Face, the first five issues. But you actually had the, the first and fourth trades, I think?
1: Yes. So yeah. I've read the first and the fourth. You In ended up order. reading the whole thing. No. I read the whole, the whole thing that you gave me, but yeah, I, only the first and the fourth. So I know the character of Arseface. Are we supposed to call him You Know Who? I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: so I was wondering about that. I couldn't find proof of this either way.
0: My suspicion was that, for some reason, like, the titles and solicits for comics are actually held to more stringent language restrictions than the actual contents. Like, they drop F-bombs all over the place in this comic. So they can certainly say Arse, but for some reason the title of the issue is You-Know-Who instead of Arseface.
1: That is really interesting. That's so weird. That is my best guess. I couldn't (laughs) find evidence for it. (laughs) So, yeah, I was very much taken back with the level of what I felt to be nihilism, in Okay. A way. the big kind of feel that I got from it was the authors trying to say that there is no, there's no validity or value or sacredness in anything, any institution, any type of people, left, right, religion, whatever. It's just find the thing that makes you happy or find the thing that you love and just cherish it and enjoy it as much as you can while you have time. Because... If there is a god, he's a piece of shit. If there's a devil, he's a piece of shit. Everything's a piece of shit. Like, that's the whole message I got from him, for the most part.
0: But it's interesting. I think we'll talk about that when we finish the issue. I think the story of You-Know-Who is, like, much darker and more nihilistic than the series as a whole.
1: Really? Interesting. Interesting. I imagine it must have some kind of happy upturn at the end. We'll see. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll find out. I found it to just be, like, even our main characters I found to be pretty... While three-dimensional, still not in- entirely relatable because of how much jerks they were, in a way. Ah,
0: okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, it's it's interesting. I don't know if I like it or not, <laughs> but I, I definitely read it. Okay,
0: okay. Well, thank <laughs> you for joining me. Thank you for reading Preacher. So, you read the first story arc, the first four or five issues. Yep. What did you think of that story in general?
1: I really liked the bit about the serial killer and, uh,
0: Psy. Oh, Psy? Psy? That's a little later. That's the, oh, my bad. the New York story arc.
1: Oh, you're right, the, you're right. Um, what
0: what do they call him? The, the Reaver Cleaver? The Reaver
1: Cleaver, yep. They couldn't decide on a name. Just chose both of them. The first five were what? It was the origin of Jesse and the Word of God, right? Yeah, yeah. What does that run up to? That runs up to his
0: first confrontation with the Saint of Killers. Okay. And when he finishes telling the story in the diner.
1: And this is basically at the end of which I believe we have you know who and his father in the ambulance and that scene happening. Yeah, that happens. Okay, so yeah, and that's the last we see of you know who until he vows for revenge, right?
0: Yeah, he has turned up in the intervening issues.
1: A regular kind of like, like glimpses into his life or where he's at in his life at this point, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to talk about at that. At some yeah. point he
0: basically becomes a main character in the series even though what he's doing has nothing to do with anyone else.
1: I want to get I want to talk about that because okay. I have shit to say about that. Oh yeah, what did you think of the uh, saint? I feel like the author, I keep thinking about the author, I feel like the author has a in- Satiable, beating red, thick hard on for old west characters, and (laughs) it is it pervades everything in the entire series. I feel like the character of is it the duke or the duke Duke is around there, and the main antagonist is also a parallel but also the opposite of in a way the duke. So the main antagonist and the main protagonist both have ties to the old west. I feel like, at least from what I read so far, issues one and four. There isn't a character there yet, but it's interesting. He's an asshole, but yeah. I don't know anything about him.
0: All right, fair enough. enough. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely playing with and repurposing a lot of Western tropes and
1: visuals. Absolutely.
0: All right, you want to launch into this issue? Let's do it. Okay, so this is Preacher Special, The Story of You-Know-Who, written by Garth Ennis, art by Richard Case, colors by Matt Hollingsworth. The cover is by Glenn Fabry, our usual Preacher cover artist, and it's a extreme close-up on Arse's face with his now-iconic drop of drool visible. <laughs> I feel like sometimes as the series goes on, he gets drawn in a more abstract way that make his wounds less... Uh, graphic? Yeah, less graphic. But the Glenn Fabry art is sort of hyper-realistic, as usual.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. The
0: thing that we've said about the Glenn Fabry art before on this show, it's very, very realistic. It's not necessarily of the characters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um,
0: and I hate to make fun of him because he does some beautiful work here, but like... He has a habit of drawing, particularly tulips, so that she doesn't look a ton like she does in the comic.
1: Oh, yeah, that's very true. I've noticed a lot of the, the cover art and stuff like that has her very differently looking for, than the comic. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that, yeah.
0: Okay. So, previously on Preacher... There is no previously. This is a prequel. There you go. Subsequently on Preacher... <laughs> what we know about Arseface from the first four issues and from what's come earlier in the series, he was a young man who...
1: He's a son of Hugo Root, the sheriff, I believe.
0: Yeah, uh, an abusive asshole.
1: Uh, I would go even farther than that, but yeah, sure. We'll we'll start the diet version of it. So he was also a Nirvana fan, kind of a punk grunge fan, underground music lover, and kind of unfortunately, what be kind of a high school dropout, but that a wannabe high school dropout. He was aspiring to be that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: And we certainly got like a very one-sided version of his backstory in. Preacher number two, when they first talked about who he was. Mm -hmm. And this this special kind of goes more in-depth and shows his side of the story. Agreed. But yeah, he was the son of this sheriff. He tried to kill himself by shooting himself in the mouth with a shotgun. Survived, although his face was completely destroyed by it. And he has since sworn
1: vengeance
0: on Jesse Custer for his role in his father's death.
1: And then somehow, in his search for vengeance became a punk rock star somehow. Yeah, we're starting to see the development of that in issues we've covered. Yeah, apparently the story of our space has been running parallel, but in a much farther direction, in a weird path than originally it planned. I think that they planned to have him as originally some kind of antagonist that just never really showed up. Yeah, well,
0: this is stuff that happened in some issues that you hadn't read. But Ah. when the heroes are in New Orleans, he turns up and he's looking for revenge. And Jesse basically manages to bridge the gap with a little bit of compassion and just talk him down and they sort of become friends okay and then through the course of their adventure in new orleans is how he meets his manager gene Sargent, oh and uh and starts his rock career
1: oh my god so he isn't looking for revenge by the time this one shot or is this before that because there's something that happens at the end of this one shot that would predate what you're talking
0: yeah this the frame story of this one shot takes place between preacher number four And his reappearance in New Orleans.
1: Gotcha. That makes sense.
0: Okay. All right. (laughs) So, story of you-know-who, we open on Arseface sitting
1: on a bus stop bench. Next to what I can only presume is a Trump supporter. Ooh. (laughs) Sorry. Homeless person. Homeless drunk. We'll say that. Fair enough. Yeah, this is an
0: obvious reference to the opening scene, the frame story of Forrest Gump. Yep. Except with a... Sort of a much more unpleasant bus stop visual.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: You know, the person next to him on the bench is this drunk hobo, and the bench itself is strewn with graffiti.
1: Yeah, I would say very bleak, abysmal setting surrounding, right?
0: And Arseface turns and watches a feather on the wind drifting down. Um, just before the the
1: dove is eaten by a rat.
0: (laughs) Right, the feather comes from a a dove or a pigeon, which is being eaten by a rat here. Oh, God. Again, having fun with that Forrest Gump reference. Oh,
1: my God. And again, just showing, like, the playing on the tropes and just ruining it, basically. Yeah,
0: just, <laughs> just kind of a middle <laughs> finger to Forrest Gump. Middle finger to all tropes, honestly. So the hobo wakes up. He takes one look at Arseface and pukes. <laughs> Into his own lap. This is a running gag.
1: We see people have this reaction to Arseface all the time. But he's able to steady his nerves by pulling out a bowl of some type of some type of illicit substance I'm imagining, mm-hmm. and taking a nice, deep hit off it before he can look back at Arsface. You about the ugliest motherfucker I've seen in my
0: fucking life, man. What he says here is ugly is as ugly does, which is another Forrest Gump reference. Yep. Stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> the hobo asks what happened to him, and Arsface says, <laughs> Well,
1: thereby hangs a the tail. Well, thereby hangs a tail. That brings us to chapter one, A Day in the Life. We wake up with a young man in a room with a Nirvana poster, a guitar, looks like a large picture of Kurt Cobain of Kurt Cobain in a messy teenager's room. Yeah, he's got a guitar
0: and an amp here. He's also got some toy dinosaurs. So he's still living at home, looks like, with the parents. Yeah, yeah. And now this is face, but a couple of notes. One is that we're never going to get a real name for him here. Yeah. In a TV show, he has the name Eugene. Here all we have is his last name, Root. Root. So I was planning to call him Arseface throughout the uh, the flashback, even though he's not Arseface yet.
1: I would like to, if I can, I would like to refer to him in the end as Root versus Arseface, because I have some comparing contrasting of the character that's shown in this one shot versus the person we saw in issues one through four. Okay, so you want to call him Root for now? I-, I will at least, if you don't mind. All right. Just to, just to keep it clear
0: and of course his face is not disfigured here he has a normal looking even maybe a little bit handsome face yeah
1: um, maybe
0: that's partially just because he's drawing he's simplified which makes him look good but he looks fine
1: yeah we see he wakes up with his standard amount of morning wood reaches for i think is that titty fuck magazine yeah. <laughs>
0: that is the name of the magazine
1: knocks over a of tissues on his way to start the morning off right.
0: I have written, now that's just Ennis being
1: crude for no reason. Yes, that's kind of a lot of what I see. Although this turns out to be a setup for something, so, okay. I mean, right? You never know what's going to be important.
0: <laughs> He's a very talented writer. So we have a full page here introducing us to our protagonist, the pre Arsface, Arsface. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. We kind of get a vibe for this this kind of down-to-earth, grungy kind of team in the 80s, 90s era. Think? Yeah,
0: fairly ordinarily seeming life
1: on this page. Yeah, uh, we move on next to what the home life looks like, which is to say, uh,
0: not great. As he's heading downstairs, we can hear his father Hugo talking on the phone. He's being an asshole to somebody. His mom has to clap a hand over her mouth to avoid. I'm not sure laughing at him. I think that she has
1: a pill bottle in one hand and she's taking oh, pills. All
0: right, okay. Uh,
1: which she's you know drowning. She's
0: mixing with- pills with vodka to yeah. cope with her morning.
1: And her husband, I can only assume. Yeah. And I don't think we ever learned her name either, do we? Martha. Martha. I was like, I want to say say Martha, but there's too many jokes about, like, origins with Martha and shit. Why did you say that name? I I don't know why I said that name, Sean. God damn it. Oh my god. Okay. So she's taking pills, downing it with vodka, and Hugo's kind enough to get off the phone, calling someone an F-word...
0: derogatory term for a homosexual man
1: that'll work in order to say grace to the family at breakfast which is just such a nice gesture in contradiction with who he is
0: later our protagonist walks onto the grounds of gerald r ford municipal high school
1: nice spot on the detail
0: two beefy looking football players call
1: him out and a couple of regular jock thugs pretty damn handsome guys if i may say so myself Definitely like a Kurt and a, and a Russ look like. <laughs> like a Kurt and a Russ, you Well, know? one of
0: them is a bit fucked up in the face region. He apparently took a beating last night.
1: Oh, yes. his Root's father, the sheriff, caught him and beat the crap out of him apparently, right?
0: Right. So he got busted by the sheriff last night, and he is looking to take it out on young Root.
1: Yeah. Which we learn is a fairly common thing, which is not the greatest. Root says it's not his oh, fault. This is true. But this guy says... Nobody's the fucking town sheriff. Ain't he? If I can't hit him, can I? And gives him a good old sock right to the gut. Accompanied by a fucking A. From Russ, I can only assume. (laughs) They look like Russ and Kurt. It's such a white trash name. No offense meant to Russ and Kurt's out there.
0: Next we find Young Root in class where the lesson is about how segregation was popular with black people and the civil rights movement was communist sedition.
1: In a class called The Decline of Western Civilization. Boy. Topical. Wow. So they are... Yeah. They're being kind of fed, I don't know, some strangely weird (laughs) rhetoric about I don't know what exactly.
0: They're receiving a history lesson with a very distinct perspective.
1: (laughs) Very true. But it does not look like young Root is looking at or paying attention at all to his studies. Instead, to the very attractive young lady who sits in front of him
0: I feel like if we keep calling him young Root... It just makes people picture him with an ascot. He doesn't have
1: one. <laughs> Well, old Root would be Hugo, right? Well, let's call Hugo and then there's Root, right? I guess, So yeah. Root. So he's
0: checking out this girl. Her name is Laurel Glanton. I think we get at some point here. Mm-hmm. And then the teacher calls him
1: out on it in front of everybody. Just shames him. Public shaming. Sad.
0: Yeah. She hears that he has been checking her out and just says, Dick.
1: <laughs> I, I, I wasn't. And then cut right next to him in the hallway. At the lockers, we meet Arseface's best friend, Pube. A, a man with the unfortunate name of Pube. Oh, man.
0: Well, we are going to find out Pube's real name, although we never find out Arseface's real name.
1: I thought Pube deserved the, you know, the elevation to knowing first name status in this series.
0: So this guy has a stringy blonde hair under a beanie. He's carrying a guitar all the time. He's got, He's got flannel,
1: uh, like open flannel jacket kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, he doesn't look unlike Kurt Cobain. And that's probably what he's kind of aiming for here.
1: I agree. Scruffy little face, what have you. We learn that he's kind of not the greatest influence, in a way. If there is a good influence in his life, it's probably this guy, which is kind of sad. But we learn that, like, this guy isn't the greatest, nicest, kindest person to uh, young Root. Root, damn it. What are you referring to? He kind of calls him a bitch a lot. He pressures him to doing a lot of things. The One Shot gave me the impression that... I don't know if Root would even care for Nirvana if it weren't for Pube and him wanting someone positive in his life.
0: Yeah, Pube is definitely a big influence on him, particularly his interests in music and counterculture. And Pube being a shitty influence is something that we're going to see again and again here. Yeah. Not that it's a shitty influence to like Nirvana, (laughs) just the rest of
1: it. Yeah, it's it's not nearly as shitty of an influence as Nirvana was. I agree with you, Sean.
0: Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So they commiserate about the beating and then about the humiliation in class. Pube, though, has to drop a dubious claim here. He says that he's slept with Laurel and she's not that hot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. i putting on a strong front here.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm like a lot of flashbacks to high school. It's an awful time.
0: But Pube makes an offer here. You want to come over when your dad gets through kicking your ass? Smoke a blunt?
1: <laughs> sure. And they head off to go do whatever it is they do after they're right?
0: Yeah, well at home we find Hugo beating Root with a belt for the mere possibility that he might smoke weed.
1: Yeah, I feel like he also gets- he catches a lot of flack for getting beat up from other, other kids. So his dad beats him up, you know? Like, it's a never-ending cycle of beating. Like, you got beat up, so I'll beat you up.
0: Right, Root brings up the fact that he got his ass kicked for something that the sheriff did. And the sheriff is kind of, stand up for yourself. I'm going to beat you some more. (laughs) It's like,
1: here's how you stand up for yourself. By submitting to my dominance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just in case we were missing that he's an unpleasant character, he takes the opportunity here to mention that he's a racist and he hates rap music. Yep.
1: So far, we are nicks on the redeemable qualities of Hugo Root. Uh, That's going to be a while. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to be a (laughs) wait. I don't think that train's coming, man. I I think that train sailed.
0: So we next catch up with Root at Pube's place. Pube has the guitar here, and he's playing Nirvana's Come As You Are while Root smokes pot.
1: Below a Nirvana in Bloom, I believe, poster? With more Kurt Cobain posters in the background. Trash littering the floor. Smoke drifting up through a dimly lit basement, I can only presume.
0: Yeah. Pube stops singing here to fantasize about taking an Uzi to school. He says that he could get one from his pot dealer.
1: It's, you know, usually comes a bit more expensive than pot, I would say. In America, at least, you can probably get it cheaper than pot nowadays. Yikes. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. Well,
0: they are in Texas.
1: This is true. In Texas, you basically get, like, gum for for guns, basically, right? You gotta stick a gum or bullets. Comes with
0: a Bazooka Joe? Yeah. Bazooka Joe comes with an actual bazooka. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: the name. Yeah, that's why they get it like that. Like, Big League Chew, the bucket of Big League Chew just has a 22 in it, right? (laughs) Comes free. (laughs)
0: Well, calling a 22 big league is a little bit of an exaggeration.
1: I, I, I think that, yeah, it's like a maybe a, a, a miniaturized deagle, perhaps. <laughs> the irony's lost on me. Root is uh, combining
0: beer and weed here and isn't taking it well, to which Pube says... <laughs> Aw,
1: can't you even handle a fucking hide, bitch?
0: Later that night... <laughs> is trying to sleep. He is kept awake by his father. <laughs> yelling, by his father shooting his shotgun in the air
1: yelling. at Martian n-words. Oh my god! Oh, I forgot about this in the first. The first like few shots, like the first issues. Yeah, in hear. the first issue when he's heard that that mystical weirdness was going on in Texas, he knew who was to blame. And you know what? I really want to see Hugo's life and the first time those two words were added together like what 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 inspired those two words to meet and then stick together what did he experience that's like this is what it is this is everyone's got their big conspiracy theory flat earth moon whatever it's stupid but this is like this is beyond that basically yeah
0: he believes some weird shit and he believes it with conviction enough to fire off several rounds a night he's spending a lot of money on rounds at this point
1: <laughs> yeah or maybe he's using the department's rounds, probably.
0: So, unable to sleep, Root resignedly reaches for his copy of Titty Fuck
1: Magazine. <laughs> right back where he left it. Pages stuck together.
0: Right, so we're seeing a compare and contrast between the beginning of his day and the end. Once for fun, once to sort of barely be able to cope with his shitty life and his lack of control. Yep.
1: One of the few things he can he can actually control, yeah. Chapter two Rebel Rebel. Comes into what looks like root in a line or in a store for like smutty yeah, it's an adult bookstore
0: yeah buying a new porno mag which yeah. is entitled ham javelin ham
1: javelin oh my god i know what my band name is now <laughs> ham javelin what a great name oh it's so good
0: yeah whenever garth ennis has the opportunity to name like a product or a, a piece of media we get some fairly ridiculous names <laughs>
1: I mean, porn
0: it. and sex are ridiculous is kind of a major undercurrent of this series. That
1: makes sense, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And we see a young lady getting off a bus. Isn't that Laurel lady? Yeah,
0: Isn't Laurel. She- he runs into Laurel on the way to school, and he he begins to try to explain himself for the previous day. He says that he wasn't looking at her. We were there, he was.
1: Yeah. And this nice kind of positive conversation is suddenly brought to a complete crashing standstill by the arrival of Pube. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Pube shows up and starts asking fairly detailed
1: questions about
0: what porn is available at the smut shop. Yep. Laurel Bolts. And Root isn't
1: the most happy about it, you know?
0: Thanks, Pube. Why didn't you just walk up and show her the centerfold?
1: Why, is she a lesbian?
0: We learn that Root and Pube are going to some kind of show together at 8 o'clock tonight.
1: Mm. Pube
0: says to bring some weed. Chicks do all kinds of shit for weed, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I hear, dude. And we cut then to a little, quaint, very nice kind of like, I guess, darkly shadowed church with the sound of singing coming out of it. But it's much more of a, a much more of a kind of a darker, ominous kind of verbiage than you'd expect. In the blood of Jesus victorious we stand. Mm -hmm. So we get some hymns and we get the sermon here. We have to talk about this sermon. This sermon, oh my god. The most ineffectual limp dick, like not helping anyone. Oh my God, Jesus doesn't say no. Don't come. Jesus always tells you to come.
0: Oh God, Jesus knows the best thing for you is to come. Oh, why?
1: Oh God, it's it's just laden with sexual imagery. It's non. It's beating you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: What? <laughs> Having some fun at the expense of this somewhat clueless preacher. I did think it was interesting that we had to meet a preacher in this episode.
1: This is technically the first preacher we've met outside of Jesse, right?
0: Yeah, so Jesse, the main character, is a preacher. He's not present in this special, but the specials often contain one. The history of the Saint of Killers included a bandit whose nickname was the preacher. Hmm. And Cassidy's story in Cassidy Blood and Whiskey Whiskey. took place largely in the basement of an old church
1: interesting so there's kind of a running through line of of preachers showing up and being part of this thing Uh, yeah and we see uh, root's mother martha martha singing along and having wanting to have a word with the pastor himself
0: yeah she confides in the preacher here she fears she's losing touch with her son he avoids his parents and his grades are slipping she says her life is a failure but he says
1: but a triumph for jesus martha
0: No matter how bad things get, he says, Jesus stays with her, and that'll help her get by.
1: Get better? No, (laughs) buy. And cut immediately to...
0: Yeah, smash cut to (laughs) Mrs. Root buying vodka. She asks the man at the counter to fill a prescription for Valium, but he says this is a liquor store, not a pharmacy. (laughs) What's the difference for her? So, getting some threads of Garth Ennis' religious philosophy through the series a fairly unsubtle thesis here. You know, religion keeps you complacent. Religion will help you to cope, but human action actually makes things
1: better. Yes, and it's the ineffectuality of, of any organized religion, basically.
0: At night, we find Root and Pube smoking weed by a fence. Your dad's a fucking character, man. You wouldn't think so if you lived with him, believe me. There's this little dog yipping on the other side of the fence.
1: And Pube seems to take great offense to this, whatever this dog has to say.
0: Yeah, he's pissed off about the dog yipping. He decides to shoot it. He says once again that he could probably get a gun. And here's where he suggests an idea. They could steal Sheriff Root's gun.
1: Mm-hmm. Because he often blacks out in the yard shooting at those Martian N-words.
0: Right. He has a .44 that he keeps in the safe, and young Root knows that they can't get that one, but he does often black out with a shotgun in his hand in the yard. I also want to point this out. They're talking about the show that they're going to later tonight. I'm looking forward to tonight, Pube. They're fucking cool. They sound kind of like Pearl Jam did when they started out. Yeah, Singer sounds more like Kurt, though. But not as good.
1: Nope. No.
0: <laughs> so it's setting up their adulation for Kurt Cobain.
1: I think that's their their idol, right? This is quickly giving us the, the sense this is the character they idolize, the person that they see as their hero.
0: Right. Groot stops at home before the show. Hugo brusquely asks who he's going to see, disapproving of the mere possibility that it would be black artists.
1: Yep, using, of course, not nearly as eloquent a language. And he and Root, father and son, have what I would describe as their closest moment in the whole series, honestly. Yeah, I
0: think that's fair. This is perhaps the only two-sided conversation between them that we're going to get.
1: And it just further entrenches Hugo as... (laughs) Just an awful human being. Like even given the chance to try and explain who he is, he just oh, it's just no. I'm just awful. <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's like, there's not there's not a lot of depth. To it. Just, I'm just an awful person. Yeah. So
0: Root says that the show is at a club called Goonies. Mm-hmm. Hugo points out that he busts more potheads there than anywhere else in town, which Root already knows. They tell me all about it when they're kicking my ass all over school.
1: To which Hugo, of course, responds, Well, stand up for yourself. Then, goddammit, why you gotta let these assholes trample all over you? Grow some fucking balls, crying out loud.
0: Yeah, and he adds that if young Root smokes weed at this concert, he's gonna beat him some more. Yeah, yeah, he does. There's an arbitrary slap here, Mm -hmm. and then Root
1: asks why his father even cares what he does. And his father takes great care and goes into great detail, explaining that it's not that I care about you as a person, but I care about me and my status as the sheriff in town and how you affect me, basically.
0: Right. He has a reputation to uphold and he can't have the sheriff's son selling weed. So what really matters is what people think of you.
1: Yep. (laughs) And it just goes on. Oh, God.
0: Before young Root leaves, Hugo reminds him that he is going to be staying up tonight to kill a Martian N-word. Yup. He's again planting that seed that that gun might be available. Mm-hmm. And he makes a reference here to Whitley Stryber's book Communion, a purportedly true telling of Stryber's alien abduction experiences. Really? Yeah, it was made into a movie in 1989 starring Christopher Walken.
1: I did not know this. That's very interesting. It's a
0: pretty literary reference for you <laughs> <Robert. laughs>
1: To happen to have read and know. I guess if you're obsessed with something, he might do some reading about that.
0: Right, he's looked into this Martian N-word issue.
1: I wonder if had the movie come out by the time this is set, I wonder.
0: So this is like late in Kurt Cobain's career. Not to spoil the end of this comic book too closely, but this is probably early 1994.
1: Okay, okay, so that movie most likely would already come out, perhaps, the dad saw the movie. Right. Makes more sense than him reading it, honestly. Doesn't seem like a well-read man.
0: Next, we find ourselves at the concert. A lot
1: of slam-cutting in this book. Yeah, it jumps around really quickly, but I guess it is kind of a slice of life in a way.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's much more compressed, I think, than the regular preacher issues.
1: That's fair, that's fair. Yeah, it's definitely trying to give us the origin story in a very quick way of our space.
0: Yeah, jumping from key episode to key episode. Here. Yeah, the lyrics that they're singing here are "fuck it, just, just fuck, fuck it." it. <laughs>
1: just over and over again. Those, those like three words basically.
0: Root rushes the stage and dives into the mosh pit. Despite warning Pube about it beforehand, no one catches him and he breaks his nose on the floor.
1: And again, smash cut outside the concert, post-concert or post-event, and Pube, all he has to say is, dude, that was intense.
0: Yeah, Root missed part of the show, but Pube explains it to him. Fucking singer and bassist
1: fighting a fucking duel with their cocks. (laughs) And Pube shows no interest or or worth in Root at all in this scene. No, right, no, no sympathy. Care. Yeah, no concern over his health. You can tell he's just obsessed with himself, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. Root is complaining about his broken nose, and Pube just says, take some speed, you'll get over it.
1: Yeah, how are you supposed to snort speed with the broken nose?
0: This is the point in the issue where I, I had made the note that this issue is more vulgar and more pointlessly cruel than is typical for Preacher. Man. And it's, it's really showing face at his lowest ebb just how shitty the people around him are and how there's no, there's no one in his life trying to make things any better.
1: There's no redeeming qualities of anyone or anything for him, in all honesty.
0: Well, we are coming up to a bit of a hope spot here because Pube says that his grandma is moving into a rest home and he offers Root her room at his place.
1: And to this, Root seems super excited and optimistic about it, as a chance of getting away from his horrible home life.
0: Yeah, but there's kind of a catch here. There's kind of something that he's not exactly obligated to do, but that seems to bear on his chances of getting this favor from Pube. Let's go get that shotgun and kill that dog.
1: Steal the shotgun from his abusive father and kill uh, someone else's dog that was yipping once at them.
0: Yeah. Root doesn't want to. Pube calls him a pussy, says it'll be easy. Don't fuck me up on this, bitch. And there's a really interesting panel of contrast as he says that over the image of Root with the blood still pouring down his face from where Pube didn't catch him.
1: Yeah. It's such a oh, such a letdown for the poor guy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I love this next image. So they are now I presumably outside of Root's house where Pube is snorting some illicit substance off the hood of a police car.
0: Yeah. So Root sneaks in. He manages to steal the shotgun. As he's coming back, he's having a panic attack, possibly a bad reaction to some of the drugs they're taking. But Pube just calls him a pussy and goes over to the fence and shoots the dog.
1: Yeah, it doesn't actually show anything, but he is covered in blood afterwards. I'm glad it keeps that off the, the screen for the most part, or off the, the page.
0: Yeah, the gory discretion shot here.
1: Yeah, and we see just a big old smile on Pube's face, just huge white grin with Root looking on, just kind of horrified in the background, really, Adam just kind of amazed and shocked and appalled by everything he's seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to do this, but Pube has obviously given voice to violent fantasies a number of times thus far in the issue, and he's, I think he's sort of trying to seize some control over his life this way.
1: I think so, too. And he turns the gun on Root for a moment.
0: Motherfucker.
1: And just all he has to say for himself is, "fucking cool. Before he gets laughing about killing the dog.
0: Oh, I have written here that he thinks killing the dog was so cool that he points a gun at Root for a minute.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: Great guy. They get back to Pube's place, and Root is generally not taking the events of the evening well. He's smoking some weed to try to cool down, but it's not really working for him.
1: Meanwhile, Pube is not helping the situation by just glorifying and fantasizing about owning a gun, being able to do anything he wants with a gun, and making people do anything he wants with a gun. That gun is so cool, man. You could fucking do anyone with that thing. Anyone who fucks with you, bang, fuck them. So, yeah, a little violent fantasies more so getting even more prevalent now.
0: Yeah, and, and killing the dog obviously did not make him better.
1: No, and we see Root hands Pube, the lit joint, and says he has got to get going. This ain't chilling me out at all, he says. Pube says, sure thing, dude. Take it easy, okay? I meant what I said about you moving in here, you know. It'll be the shit, man. You come on over anytime you want. To which Root replies, Sure, Pube. The fuck I will.
0: Yeah, as he's walking home, he adds to himself, The fuck I will. This <laughs> is a really grim ebb as he's sort of realized. Even uh, the one savior he had is still
1: an awful human being.
0: Yeah. But it gets worse as he <laughs> sneaks back into the Root household...
1: With the gun in hand, he's caught by his dad. I think that we could sum up the character of face as, but it gets worse. <laughs> That's like the tagline for his entire life. But it's worse. Well, we'll come back to that when we, get to, uh, when we get to the end of the issue. Yeah.
0: Chapter 3, New Horizons.
1: We have him waking up in bed again, a parallel to the first page and the first image we see of him.
0: He's clutching the right side of his face, and the first thing he does is call Pube. You still okay for me to come stay for a while?
1: Of course I am, dude. You know it. Root announces
0: that he's headed over right now, and that is when we finally see the new Shiner on his face.
1: Yeah, he apparently took a heavy beating from his dad last night from the shotgun.
0: Right, something so bad that it's turned him right back around on the idea of getting out of this house any way
1: he can. And we see him hanging up the phone and walking and looking over at his mother, who has got a book in front of her along with a nice healthy bottle of vodka.
0: Yeah, I think this is an interesting scene. He sort of matter-of-factly tells his mom that he's moving in at pubes. She says, What? Honey, are you sure that's... I gotta go pack. Honey, if it's because you're
1: dad... Which, of course it is. Like, what else would it be? <laughs> it's, it's like, it, listen, I, I understand that your father's the worst human being, right? Like, yeah, he beats you. But uh, what's the other half of that sentence? Like, <laughs> Like, yeah, it's awful here. Yeah, yeah, go yeah, and, and on. She, <laughs> and she
0: doesn't have an end to that sentence. Like, <laughs> no. of course it's his dad, and, and, that's why he's, and that's why he's getting out. And he doesn't respond to that. He just walks off to pack.
1: Yeah, and he packs up his copy of Anal Spittoon.
0: Yeah, we see him pack up the stuff he needs, and he gets out his porno mags, has one kind of last look, and then he throws them all away before he leaves.
1: Yeah, what do you think that's symbolizing?
0: I mean, most directly, I think he can't really bring them with, and he doesn't want to leave them to be found. That's Like, fair. he knows he's in more trouble if they get found after he leaves.
1: That's true. I think uh, from an author's standpoint, it's kind of symbolizing him as a character has been, like, fucking around this whole time, mm-hmm. and now it's time to, like, get rid of this, get serious, I'm gonna start my life anew, kind of right. thing. Right,
0: he's actually taking proactive action at this point in yeah. the story. But that's a good point. <clears throat> and he's throwing away sort of his old coping mechanism as he tries to find a new one, which is just, like, getting out of the situation.
1: Exactly. And we find him in Pube's house, Wicked Olympia presumed, which is a much nicer abode a lot different color palette honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, lots of blues and browns and golds compared to root's house which is all browns and greens and yellows
0: right and he meets a new character here we get her name eventually it is catherine ah yes she's curious about the black eye she offers him coffee she's well, she is a nice person, which is like a new experience for Ruth.
1: This is where hope blossoms anew, I would say, for uh, our character and for us, the reader, as well. That maybe something will happen between these two characters.
0: She keeps mentioning a guy named Craig, and he has no idea who that is.
1: <laughs> and uh, upon asking, it turns out that Craig is, in fact, Pube. And his sister does not know this. Catherine does not know this.
0: Right. Why? What do you call him?
1: Pube. And she lets out this huge belly laugh that... Gets a smile out of Root as well for the first time in a while.
0: Doesn't exactly fit the mean loner image, she says. (laughs) Root says Pube doesn't have a choice. Everyone calls him that. Root not actually having an inescapable, embarrassing nickname for himself
1: yet. This is true.
0: Now, Catherine doesn't live here. She lives with her boyfriend in Dallas. She's just visiting. And they go on to talk some more about Craig slash Pube's
1: history. Mm Mm-hmm. If there wasn't doubts on it already, we are now learning that he is... Much more of a failure than an aspiration, something to aspire to.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Before he met Pugh, Root says, he was a total square, he wore his hair marine short, and he didn't know anything about Nirvana. Yeah. And Catherine asks how old he is. He says he's almost 18. She reveals... Craig just turned 16 a month ago. Yeah. So his sort of source of wisdom and experience turns out to be not all that wise or experienced.
1: Uh, Turns out... The one thing he was kind of modeling himself after, I mean, we even see his clothes now look like the open flannel jacket that Pube used to wear, modeling himself after someone who's modeling himself after someone.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an eye-opener for young Root. Mm -hmm. Also, want to throw in a parallel to the main series here, because we do learn in Cassidy's backstory in Preacher number 25 and 26 that he was essentially frozen at 16. That's when he became a vampire.
1: I did not know that. Wow, he doesn't look like he's 16 either. Cassidy looks like he's, like, in his mid-20s. Yeah, I know. I think maybe he's aging slowly, not completely
0: frozen. Okay. And then also, I mean, we're going to find out that he's been living a pretty hard life for a lot of decades. I kind of
1: assumed as much with the alcohol.
0: <laughs> maybe that's aged him a little <clears throat> bit. Catherine says that Craig has an intensity that can be mistaken for maturity.
1: Mm-hmm. Charisma versus intelligence. Right.
0: Right. She says he sounds like he knows a lot, but he read it all in books or overheard it. He's always pissed off because people don't get along with him. And people don't get along with him because he's always pissed off. She concludes that he is harmless as long as you take him with a grain of salt, which Root has not been doing.
1: And also we see in this one shot an ominous silhouette looming over Root's shoulder of his father.
0: Yeah. At this point, Hugo barges in to take him home. Catherine says she can't take him home because his father gave him that black eye. If you're going to arrest anyone, she starts to say, but too late realizes Root's not here as the sheriff.
1: He's here as her father. Oh no.
0: At Root house, Hugo starts beating up young Root. His mom tries to intervene, but he just orders her into the kitchen.
1: And as he's taking off his belt... You think you can walk out of here and go live with that zip faced cocksucker friend of yours you got? Death! No,
0: wait, please! I
1: told you, boy, don't lit me!
0: Root says, what do you want from me?
1: That was a big one.
0: And Hugo says that he's always hearing fathers talk about their sons. They're quarterback or they're going to be a doctor. There's a not particularly good example of parental pride in here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Philip oh, popped a pop to goddamn boner first time he looked at his future daughter-in-law. Ah.
0: <sighs> But his son, he says, just fucks up all the time. Of course, we know from having seen his side of the story that he doesn't fuck up all that much, and when he does, it's largely in reaction to his father.
1: Yeah, for the most part.
0: At this point, Hugo notices a certain detail of Young Root's appearance.
1: Mainly that he has a few burned holes through the front of his t-shirt near his collar lapel.
0: Right, and he's busted enough potheads to know what that means.
1: Mm-hmm. And this means he's finally caught his son oh, evidence... Of having smoked marijuana.
0: He drags Root into another room by the hair, and we see a scream emerge around the corner of the house.
1: While looking at the like the blank thousand-yard stare of what appears to be a Bible-reading uh, Mrs. Root. Bible-reading and vodka-drinking at the Ma- same time. Martha Root, doing anything she can to cope. Eyes facing away from the room, just open wide, unblinking, as she does anything she can to cope. It's just awful.
0: Later, pube calls. Root doesn't feel like talking. My dad just put a cigarette out on my arm. Now, we had heard about this from Hugo himself back in the first couple of issues of Reacher. You know, he listed this as something that he tried to do to get his kid to be less of a fuck-up. Yeah. And now we're seeing the other side of the story, which, you know, not that that story suggested that his side was particularly good in the first place. But yeah, we see it now
1: as the next and most horrifying development yet. And he is talking on the phone to Pube, who has something much more important to convey than to listen to his friend talk about his father beating him.
0: Kurt Cobain just shot himself in the head. What?
1: And you got this nice big picture, this close-up of Root's face, and this horrific look of sadness and despair as he realizes what he believes is his idol is dead.
0: Chapter 4, Never mind. ha
1: <laughs> ha. Nice.
0: Later, Pube and Root are walking around town, still shell-shocked over Cobain.
1: And a bunch of douchebags around the street. Not Kurt and Russ's, it looks like. Well, it could be Kurt and Russ, well, this actually. this guy is McMurdy. McMurdy. There we go.
0: Yeah, McMurdy yells over to them, and he says, Who am I, okay? Here we are now! Entertain us! Then he, he mimes, putting his fingers into his mouth and blowing his brains out.
1: Which, of course, Being as crass as it is causes Pube to go into a rage and go flying at him and get kneed in the stomach, which he promptly pulls a knife out to kill McMurdy with.
0: Yeah, McMurdy just knocks him down again, and then he picks up that guitar he's always carrying around and breaks it over
1: Pube's head. He's not doing so well. They're recovering from a very quickly lost fight.
0: Root says they should get Pube to the hospital, but Pube's not interested. We gotta
1: go get your dad's shotgun. No fucking way. Look, I know he busted your guitar and said that about Kurt. Pube's oh, response is, Not for him, you asshole. For us. And Pube's brilliant idea, after being bludgeoned over the head with a guitar so hard that it breaks, is to put a shotgun in his mouth. Uh,
0: yeah, Root thinks this is a bit of an overreaction, which it is, but Pube asks, do they have one good reason to live? Kurt's gone, man. The one fucking guy who ever cared is gone. Your dad beats the shit out of you and mutilates you, and your mom's a fucking alcoholic? Why the fuck do I gotta ask you this?
1: Cut to them outside, near the same fence, I presume, where they shot the dog. And we have Root sitting dejectedly on the ground with Pube bending over backwards to take down a whole bunch of alcohol. It looks like probably some mom's vodka with a shotgun in hand.
0: Yeah, they have the shotgun. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Root wonders what comes after they die. But Pube says, it's got to be better than this. Which sort of ties back into the main line of the series, too. Jesse Custer has a conviction that the world should be better than it is. Mm -hmm. That's why he's going after God. Mm -hmm. Root says he's never made a decision for himself in his life, but he guesses that he's about to.
1: He's interrupted in this. Those are the kind words by, by Pube taking his own life.
0: He yells... I'm coming, Kurt, I'm coming. And he puts the gun in his mouth and shoots himself.
1: And they get a, like a third of a page devoted to that image. And uh, then, yeah, pretty gory. Yeah, and then another third of a page of the after effect. And it's pretty rough. And you can see Root is just, again, in shock over what's happened in front of him.
0: Yeah, so horrified by what he sees that he almost pukes. But uh, crying, he picks up the shotgun, he puts it under his chin.
1: And we just have a red dot spray on the bottom of the page that gets wider and bigger.
0: Yeah, black panel with blood spray over it. Mm -hmm. And we find another of the same on the next page, and then we find him waking, having survived.
1: A couple of doctors asking if he's responding to them.
0: Is that Catherine? I think this guy's a doctor. I think that's Catherine.
1: It is Catherine, yes.
0: Yeah, so these two people are asking him if he can hear them, and then a third comes in from off panel. His father.
1: Should have put it in your mouth, you dumb little fuck.
0: Hugo walks out, and we see now Root's face covered in bandages.
1: Only a single, singular eye visible with a pipe going into where his mouth would be for breathing purposes.
0: Catherine is here to ask a question. She says their family is wrecked right now. This is where we pick up if the evidence before us in the last scene wasn't enough that Craig didn't make it. Yeah. She asks Arsface, I just wanted to know, you and Craig, why did you do it?
1: Root scribbles on a small notepad. Nobody cared. And this causes Catherine to lash out in one of the very impassioned speeches that kind of happen in this series. Yeah,
0: she's got a great speech here. I probably won't do the whole thing, but Go for significant it. portions what do you mean nobody cared? You mean nobody coddled you and wiped your asses for you? Your lives didn't turn out the way you wanted them to? Well, fuck you! You and my asshole brother both, you self-obsessed whining little shits. I bet you never gave a good goddamn about the pain you'd cause. You say nobody cared about you, but I'll tell you one thing. If you're enough of a prick to take a gun and try to blow your own head off, then you didn't fucking care either!
1: And she storms out of the room in tears. And we see a zooming close-up on the wide-open eye of... What is now our space?
0: Yeah, and we are going to learn that that speech did actually have an effect on him, that that did change him somewhat.
1: I will reserve comment until at a later date. Okay. Specifically today's date, just a later time.
0: Okay. Later, a doctor is telling Martha Root on the phone that her son is recovering remarkably well. He seems determined to make the best of it, the doctor says, although there's a limit to what facial reconstruction can do for him. Mm-hmm. She asks what he'll end up looking like. The doctor tries to hang up.
1: And asks if he can speak to her husband instead of her.
0: No, fuck it. Fuck this shit.
1: And she throws out her pills and her vodka and her Bible all in the same trash can.
0: She writes a note saying that she's leaving Hugo, not because she sympathizes with who she refers to as our idiot son. She's sick of him too. Jesus. She's been leaning on Booze, Valium, and Jesus to keep going, she says. I just realized I don't need them, I don't need him, and I don't need you.
1: Goodbye forever, Martha. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> I lied. Three inches is below average. <laughs> we see the note is known as being held by Hugo, who crumples it up immediately. To the sound of Arseface coming home.
0: Yeah, Arsface cheerfully announces that he's home. Boy, it sure is
1: good to see ya! <laughs> Boy, it sure is good to see you.
0: Arsface apologizes for never taking responsibility, for blaming everybody else for his problems. Hugo definitely deserves some blame here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But now he says things are going to be different. They can build a relationship. Hugo picks up the bottle of vodka for himself as Arsface says, I'm going to be the best son in the whole world! <laughs> This panel is, by the way, our first reveal of Arsface's damaged face since this, the beginning of the frame story.
1: This is true. This is the first fold view of him openly wanting to embrace his father who has a clenched fist in one hand and the other hand has a bottle of vodka.
0: So we cut back to the bus stop. So not long after that, Arsface's father was killed by a bad man. And the bad man had a friend, this is Cassidy, who said he had a face like an arse. At this point he reveals that he does not know what an arse is. Which, I'll wait before I
1: talk about it. I'll wait. I got so many things I want to talk it's, about. It's just
0: ass with an R in it. I know, right? But he has decided to become Arsface.
1: And get revenge against his father's killer with his dead dad's own gun.
0: Right. The hobo chimes in here that he hasn't understood a word Arsface has said. <laughs> what happened to your face,
1: he asks. <laughs> when literally the entire story was just been given to him. Who did this to you? Me. You gotta be the dumbest son of a bitch that ever lived, man! Mmm. <laughs> Kaboo. The end. Yeah! Oh boy, this issue. Holy cow.
0: Well, yeah, I sort of felt like if there is a first issue to read of Preacher, that probably wasn't
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start you here, where we definitely shouldn't start you. <laughs> yeah, this, this was something else to read. You
0: know, the main series has a lot of dark in it, and it has a lot of. It has a lot of vulgarity, which is usually sort of the subject of mockery at the same time. I mean, you read the stuff in New York with, like, the policeman who's addicted to BDSM.
1: Yeah, Polly. Polly.
0: Yeah, and he's he's got this urge, which is portrayed not entirely unsympathetically, but it also just kind of makes him ridiculous. Yeah. And that's married, though, with a contrast where the heroes, even though they are jerks, even though they will certainly kick your ass if you get in their way, they honestly want to make the world a little better. And sometimes they do. This is true. Jesse, at least. Maybe not so much Cassidy. Not so much Cassidy. Cassidy's in it for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just unrelentingly grim
1: for it, most of its run. It really is. And I I found it to be... I don't know how I want to go about approaching this topic. Because I, I rehearsed this. I actually talked to myself about this for like half an hour before I came here. About the character of Arsface. Okay. And about how... I felt that in getting this issue, what little I've read of Preacher, right? And knowing that I haven't seen the redeeming moment between Jesse and Arseface, Mm -hmm. right? Having just only the first few issues and then this issue, it feels very much to me like the sum of all the parts does not equal the person that we get.
0: The Arseface character that we see... At the the, end. In the series, post-issue number four.
1: Does not equal the backstory that we're given, in my opinion. Okay. Because the first time we meet him in the first few issues he's incredibly upbeat he's incredibly positive outgoing he's He's, really devoted to his dad yeah he seems as though like he's always been trying to get his father's to like him and that he has no problems at all with his father Mm, and his father won't even engage with him yeah whereas i wasn't given as a reader enough of a reason in this one shot to think that he would turn around so far to just be able to forgive everything his dad has ever done and treat his dad nicely
0: yeah i think that's a good point I think part of it comes from the fact that he is really kind of a a broadly comic character in the main series. And this is a very dramatic telling of the backstory that led him there. And and so there is a disconnect there. Mm -hmm. In addition, like, the way that he reacts at the end to what's happened to him and to to Catherine sort of calling him out, Mm -hmm. he decides not to blame other people for his problems so much to try to take responsibility for making his life better himself. Which isn't a bad thing, but then he goes in the completely wrong direction by saying, well, what I have to do is repair my relationship with my dad, who is not somebody that any sane person would try to have a relationship with.
1: In all honesty, and and you look at, like, so much of his problems, people, like, you blame everything on everyone else. Literally everyone else in his life was a bad influence. It's like, yeah, of course he does, because everyone else, like, his father beats him, his mother's an alcoholic, his best friend calls him a bitch and forces him to, like, steal a shotgun so they can murder someone's dog. Like, yeah, yeah. a lot of his outside influences are terrible.
0: Yeah, well, to be fair, I mean, you haven't read the backstory for Jesse, which is, I think, in the second trade. Or is um, it in here?
1: It's in here, I believe, yeah. Yeah, it's the Angelville, right? Okay, you did read Angelville. Yep.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, we can contrast that with Angelville, in which we see Jesse's backstory. Jesse's backstory is equally horrific, being raised by his abusive grandma and, uh, and her henchman, henchman, Jody. Yeah. And and TC. Yeah, and I guess the one big difference is that, I don't necessarily want to make this argument, but this is an observation. Yeah. The big difference is that Jesse had a father, at least for a few years of his life, who was a positive influence on him.
1: He had started with a positive influence, both his mother and his father, especially his father. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I pointed out in the episode where we talked about the Angelville story that Jesse has basically taken the fighting skills, the masculine skills of Jody and married them with his father's good intentions
1: yeah i would agree with that the thing that i'm not seeing from our space in this is if you take all the things that happened to him attempted suicide his his hero and idol dying losing his best friend his mother leaving his father refusing to see him in the hospital and the first thing he sees in the hospital when he wakes up is his father telling him you should have just fucking killed yourself and done it right yeah how does that get you to how does that bring you to a a very upbeat person if anything that would almost reaffirm everything he's believed at this point, right? Like, so much of the last few pages have been reaffirming everything he believes. It
0: really felt to you like he should have been even further destroyed instead of finding new purpose. Exactly.
1: And to me, I don't know how much time passed in real life from the writing of the first issues, the creation of Our Space, to this one shot. I don't know how much time passed mm-hmm. in that time. But I feel very much like the character was made for comedic effect yeah. and was given a ridiculous name. And who knows what's going to happen with this character. And perhaps a fan base was created, or the, maybe the writer loved him a lot, and they kept showing bits and snippets throughout the series here and there. Yeah. Before finally going, I'm going to give like this character a bit more depth and make them more interesting versus just a uh, caricature. Yeah. But I feel like that attempt to delve more into the story did not justify who the person wound up being, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, or if you agree with that or not. Yeah,
0: that's that's a fine read. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, I will say, I have said it before and I'll say it again, I think of R-Space as something of an indulgence. You know, he doesn't appeal to me that much as a comic figure. Garth Ennis obviously likes writing him. And as he gets a bigger and bigger role in the series, he's, I want to say he's more strongly the comic relief, not in the sense that he's even being mocked, so much as in the sense that he's the one character that decent stuff is happening to.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really odd.
0: I think it's fair to say that Ennis certainly likes to laugh at him, but he also just kind of likes the guy. He just has a a soft spot for him.
1: Yeah, it's very odd. (laughs) It's it's very, very odd. I don't know what to think about it, honestly. It's so many weird messages coming from, like, I always look at stuff like this as, like, what is the author trying to say? What does the author think? Yeah. And with that last, those words that you read and the, the last speech that Catherine gives Root before he leaves... It's a message to someone, to anyone who survived suicide, you know? It's yeah. it's, a, it's a very negative thing to say to someone who survived suicide. A
0: very negative appraisal of the act of suicide. So. Yeah.
1: It's very rough, and I don't know that if that would inspire anyone to, to make a good change in their life or not, but it feels very much like the author had something to say to even people like that. It's crazy, honestly, the amount of people he not disparages, but he talks, kind of takes the piss out of in a way.
0: Well, I think that's, yeah, I think if you look at this at this book in particular, and the series in general, he really is trying to put forth, I think, somewhat positive messages about the value of human action, the virtuous side of traditional masculinity, mm-hmm. but there's nothing he doesn't take the piss out of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there is, like, an obsession with virtuous masculinity, absolutely. With yeah. uh, all the best characters, all the coolest characters, with uh, Jody, Jesse, and Duke, and the Saint All of them are hyper-masculine characters, right? And they're all the coolest people.
0: Yeah, well, Jody is obviously a toxic vision of masculinity. But Jesse managed to inherit his strengths, his strengths without his failings.
1: This is true. That being said, he's portrayed in volume four, or book four, in the next part as kind of a protagonistic in a way, I don't know. Jody? Yeah. Well, Jody appears in the good old boys. Yeah.
0: He has his own story and... We'll have to talk about that in another episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's really odd. The whole series has had me scratching my head a lot, but I enjoyed it.
0: Well, I... <laughs> I... I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of up your alley, because I recall in previous conversations that we've had that you use fucked up as a pretty
1: high compliment. <laughs> I love fucked up stuff, and this was fucked up. Definitely. So, yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to read it. Thank you for having me on Vertigo, guys. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for being on the show, man. No worries. Anytime.
0: In our next Preacher episode, we get a late introduction to the good old boys. They are not good.
1: No, not at all.
0: But first, join us next week for a universe of Sandman content in, well, Sandman universe number one. (laughs) Vertiguise is written and hosted by Eric and me, and today, Andy. Hey! Our music is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. I produce the show, and Eric handles social media. If you like our show, check out our website at vertiguise.blueberry.com. We've got lots more episodes, plus show notes on every episode. You can reach us on Twitter at Vertiguise. You can reach me at BlankCastSean. We'd love it if you'd send us an email, vertiguise at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Whatever podcast engine you happen to be listening to, if you could interact with that technology in such a way as to leave us a positive rating or review, we would certainly appreciate it. It helps people to find the show, and we would be glad to call out positive reviews on the air. But as always, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.
1: Cat eats so noisily, <laughs> just chowing down. Like, dude, we find shrapnel of the food he's chewed, just sprayed around the bowl. that
0: actually, all getting in? The no, mouth.
1: it's not. For whatever reason, he's just, <laughs> just biting at it and, just, and spewing it everywhere.